Welcome to tonight's edition of Draft Utopia. Lots of news to get to. I'm going to save the news about the Magic School Bus till the end because I got some other news that cancels out that Rose Parade. The Tournament of Roses Parade for 2021 has officially been canceled, according to um, ABC. Um, that's um, the news station in Los Angeles. Um, where I went when I went to visit my brother during the Christmas holiday. So the Rose Bowl parade, it was it did take place in 2020, but that was before the whole COVID-19 thing. So the Rose Bowl parade for 2021 has been officially canceled. So it's not college football news, but that Tournament of Roses parade is it's a yearly New Year's Day tradition and it's one of those things where when weather is nice and you don't have an outbreak like what you do currently with COVID-19 that people want to talk about it. People want to go to it. People want to be entertained. And it's a big draw. It's one of the biggest draws in terms of revenue to start the new year in the state of California. Yeah, you know, I haven't uh, paid attention to any of these parades in quite a while. So... Yeah, and the mascot races at the Senior Bowl were more fun anyway. I had more fun watching the mascots try to run a 10-yard, 20-yard dash during the uh, commercials. Because, like, what they do if you go to the Senior Bowl game during the second or third quarter, they'll have all the mascots race each other in a 10-yard or 20-yard dash. And you can't see it on TV because they only do the race during the commercials when the players are on the sidelines talking to the coaches. Well, that would only be entertaining if three-quarters of them fell on their face. That's just because that would be funny. Okay? I, I don't really care about the mascots running in big floppy shoes. I could watch the uh, Ronald McDonald versus Bozo to clown to get that. What if they did it like uh, every 10 yards you have to drink a shot and you continue the race? I've uh, I'm sure I can make a drinking game out of it. No, nah, you're right. Not have to degrade themselves for that matter. I I'd like to quickly apologize to the mascots for getting off to a, such a disastrous note after the TCU mascot tried to take a picture of me before winning the race. So, well, yeah. let's put it this way: I'm not apologizing to the mascots because I think it'd be a great drinking game, which would make it more fun for me. So please fall on your ass as much as possible while I've got a jar of whiskey. But it's like bottle of tequila. And then you resume the race, and then you resume the race, and if you make it across the, without passing out, you win. That's a great game. That's a great drinking game. Jeez, in like... theory, I... I'm not saying that the mascots should partake in it. In theory, that is a great drinking game. Oh hell, I drink vodka and then go for a run in the mornings. It's not not really that uh, difficult. Unless you're wearing a huge suit, which reminds you of... Eh, I'm not going to tell you who it reminds me yeah, of, but a huge floppy suit. I'm talking about the new year and the mascot, so I'm just going to jump straight into the free agency signings. Mahomes yeah. had a $503 million extension. They did a, uh, the Chiefs did a Facebook Live press conference, so I got to hear everybody beach Andy Reid. Mahomes, the fans asking questions. So I did actually listen to the audio of the press conference and hear the Chiefs. The Chiefs seem to know what they're doing. And speaking of the Chiefs, um, Chris Jones also got extended. So Kansas City, they still have $5 million to spend, but they they went from having like $40 million to spend next year to only like $24 to $31 million for next year. They would have had $42 million to spend, but now that number's down to like $24 Thirty-one million for next season, and they only have five million for this year. So, oh, the the thing with this signing for me is that you have your franchise quarterback and your franchise defensive end all shored up for the foreseeable future. So, but yeah, your best player on your franchise quarterback, pretty much. You have those two building blocks back for the next four years. So now all you have to do is build around uh, and keep that nucleus in place because you've already got the cornerstones of the nucleus. Yeah. And everything else is just a piece to keep the machine running. 
Um, and that's something that uh, I forget which uh, group, forget which group ended up posting the article, but the article that I read was what's the better signing for from a team perspective? Miles Garrett or what the Chiefs did with both of their franchise players. Um, and I'm looking at that and I'm saying I'm not real sure because both deals were done well. They were structured properly and neither one of them because of the way they were structured, kills the team's cap. So, Chris, what's your take? Which one do you think, which team do you think did a better job in how they structured this thing? Um, yes. With the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs just having that stability in place helps. Because the Browns, yes, they did something correct. And I like the way Miles Garrett was edgy with his re-signing. And I like the fact that Miles Garrett is your best defensive player, your number one pick in the 2017 NFL draft. He's going to be Brown for five more years. I mean, seven more years because they also get the five, the fifth year option. Yeah. And this you're will right. tack on at right. the end. So that's seven. You're right, Joey, because I, what I discounted is the two years left on his rookie deal and two plus five is seven. See, Mahomes is in the same boat as Garrett. They were both in the 2017 draft. Yeah, Mahomes got a 10-year contract, but it doesn't take effect until 2022. And Miles Garrett's in the same time frame, same draft class, but only a five-year extension with the two left on his rookie deal. So Garrett's a Brown for seven more years, and Mahomes is a Chief for 11 more years. Well, they gave Mahomes a freaking Alex Rodriguez contract. I mean, it's never, bef never before heard of in professional football. Miles Garrett became the highest-played non-quarterback in NFL history, while Mahomes just became the highest-paid everything in football history. So, you know, so it's interesting, but like I said, the way the contracts were done um, – with these three guys, it really shows how smart those front office people are that they could do these type of contracts. And they still have a lot of room under the um, cap for each of them. Like you said, the Chiefs are going to have like $25 million after this year. And, they and the Browns are still running about 30-some million. Players. They got Sammy Watkins and they got Austin Reeder. I think they're going to let Watkins walk and try to win with McCole Hardman next year. And Byron Pringle and all those young guys are going to try to win with those guys next year. And they're going to try to bring back Austin Ryder. And if they can't bring back Austin Ryder, I think they'll um, try to reload at those two positions in the draft. Because that's really all the Chiefs have to do if you want to save money. Because if you want to bring back guys like Kels, the two offensive tackles, and Juan and uh, Ryan Matthew. What the smartest thing you can do is save that money for 2022. Just stash the money and build those one or two holes you're going to have next season through the draft. You'll still have 19 starters coming back or 20 starters coming back. You'll have Edwards Hilaire taking over for Damian Williams, but you'll have a center, a center you can get Reed Humphrey or the Iowa good kid that's now starting to generate some first-round buzz. And then you can get a receiver in the second round to push McCole Hardman, get somebody like Demorian Terry or Amon Ross St. Brown or the Memphis receiver that's really, really good. There, Maybe Justin Ross falls to you at 64 and he turns it around and has a comeback year and is healthy. And you hit lightning in a bottle with another Clemson receiver. I mean, you never know how these things work out in the draft. I'm not saying well, that's what's going to happen. Well, Chris, don't put your cart before the horse here because we just got out of the – last NFL draft, so as we know, between now and next football season, especially with everything going on, who knows what these guys are going to look like when it comes to the next draft. So don't put your cart before the horse there, but I think it does dictate to a certain extent because you're looking at the point that this comes down now for both the Chiefs and the Browns 
to how much how much you trust your drafting, how much confidence you have in your drafting, and how good you actually are at your drafting. Because now, even though they have plenty of room, the thing is to get more room and keep it going long term, the draft becomes that much more important because these are two teams that until three, four years ago for the Chiefs and literally this year for the Browns, they didn't get to keep a lot of their good free agents. They didn't get to be put in this situation. So now it all comes down to how well you draft going forward. I remember the very first mock draft I did for 2017 back in the summer of 2016. I had Miles Garrett number one. I had Deshaun Watson at number two, and I had Patrick Mahomes. But I felt like Mahomes was the greater ceiling than Watson. And Mahomes is now the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Miles Garrett's the highest paid non And Deshaun Watson's coming up on the end of his rookie deal, too. So he's probably going to get paid. Um, probably in the off season because yeah, and and we'll talk about and that later because there's a lot. And this is something else that excites me though, Chris, is that all these young quarterbacks from 2017 that were drafted 2017, 2018, 2019, and now with Joe Burrow 2020, this is the turn of the page right here. This is a turn from the old guard. You got Watson, Mahomes. Yeah, there's an ESPN announcer that Steve Young, Marino, Elway, and then we transitioned to the Manning Brady rivalry, which took place for nearly a dec, uh, over a decade, fifteen years, and then Manning retired in 2016. Brady got to rule the NFL for a few more years until Mahomes won the starting job for the Chiefs, and now Brady's no longer a Patriot, and we're going through another transition in the league. Well, well, I think we look at it and. Yeah more linear terms because it was Brady Manning Rogers before that the uh, it was Favre and that old guard in the late 80s to mid to late 90s and now you're looking at an entire overhaul of the young quarterback system with potentially five to ten elite quarterbacks that are just literally starting their careers I mean two three three years in so that's exciting and it brings us to some of the other guys who did not sign their franchise tender by the four o'clock deadline i believe there were 22 of them signing we got to cover he resigned with the titans the leading rushing yards guy he led the league in rushing yards his game against the Cats got the titans in the playoffs in week 17 even though he and got the Titans the AFC Championship. He gets a four-year extension, and they agreed on that right before the deadline. So the Titans don't have to worry about Derrick Henry. They've got him and Tampa. They're going to have the ability that helps the quarterbacking situation, whether it be Tannehill or somebody else, to have that star sitting there under contract for four years in the prime of his career. So now we're getting back to the quarterbacks being held by a franchise. So there's another little dynamic. Yeah, and the, I don't know what the audio is going on there, but Bowser entering his fifth-year deal next offseason and Nick Chubb entering his contract here next offseason. So Brown's got Garrett secured, which is – Awesome, and now they're going to take care of their offensive side of the ball. Baker and Chubb, because even though they have some good linemen, they have a lot of good pieces in place. I think we both agree that if the Browns are going to be a contender on a year-to-year basis when Big Ben retires, then they got to get Baker and Chubb secured and extended. So they have that window of opportunity to try to do something. Yeah, and it's – this is a little weird for us because, as in the Browns, you're looking at, like I said, comparing them to the Chiefs because the Browns next year are going to have to deal with Baker Mayfield's contract, as you stated, and Nick Chubb's contract after that. So I'm looking at a really interesting situation there because now you're looking at potential franchise tags for 
Mayfield if not get it done. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Chris. That's where uh, Mahomes' contract comes back into focus. Because if you franchise a quarterback now, look at what you're getting in terms of what you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay almost Mahomes' money. Yeah, LeBron Jackson maybe shot that up. Wants a race, so he can get that Mahomes type contract. And the Super Bowl appears in Tampa, where Lamar grew up. So if Lamar goes into Tampa and leads the Ravens to a Super Bowl, then Lamar's going to get a Mahomes like deal since he's on the cover of Madden. And it's the same script as Mahomes. Wins MVP the year after Mahomes wins MVP. Mahomes wins the Super Bowl. So Lamar Jackson is going to be entering year three of his rookie deal next offseason. Orlando Brown Jr. is going to be entering the final year of his rookie deal. And Mark Andrews, who is now considered the third best tight end in fantasy football behind Kittle and Kels, he's going to be in a contract year. Yeah, the Ravens got rid of Hayden Hurst to save some cap space. Yeah, they drafted Dobbins. They loaded up an inside linebacker. They did pretty much everything right except get a safety to push Chris Clark. And even if they did something as simple as bringing Eric Berry as a backup for depth, that would solve that one final issue the Ravens have. If the Ravens signed Eric Berry, they would be my pick to win the AFC. That's how close they are to Kansas City, in my opinion. Yeah, the Ravens, I, I've been saying it. Since the end of the season, since the Bengals, I think the Bengals are further away, but I think the Bengals are transforming themselves. But I've been saying it since this draft. Watch out for the AFC North because they used to be the big bad in the AFC. Watch them. Just watch them because if the Steelers get Roethlisberger's successor this year, if they got him, stash him. Train them up, and you got Burrow. If Mayfield and Stefanski hit it off, like people are saying that they have, and that coaching staff hits it off, Joe Burrow comes along, and the Ravens and what they're doing, the AFC North may end up within two years. I say two years. If everything goes correctly, the way I think it very well may, be back to being the big bad in the NFL when it comes to divisions. Yeah, I have each – the AFC North faces the AFC South and the NFL this year. The AFC North really got lucky with the NFL scheduling rules. I have each team in the AFC North division winning at minimum of six games. That includes the Bengals. I think they'll surprise people if A.J. Green avoids injury and the Bengals can just play their guys they're capable of winning six games with that schedule. They might even win more. And the Browns, I think, worst-case scenario, they're 7-9, and best-case scenario, they're the seventh seed in the AFC behind Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Because we don't know what Pittsburgh's going to be. Because if Pittsburgh doesn't get the successor to Big Ben, and they don't get one of those four QBs or maybe Jamie Newman, they are they are going to be – they're going to be the bottom – team in the division because even though a nose tackle to replace Hargreave would be nice, if they don't get a successor to Ben, I I think they're in trouble because Mason Rudolph, in what little window of opportunity he had as a starter when Ben got injured for most of the season, he did not deliver. He did not step up. He did not command respect. And when he made a pick or a bad throw, he would just he, he wouldn't shrug it off like it was no big deal, like Ben did, like Perry Bradshaw did. He just go and he just squint about it. He wouldn't even take accountability. He just squint about it like somebody who's frustrated. And yeah, awesome. yeah. I'm I'm gonna give you a um, analogy here, um, because well, not an analogy, but I'm gonna make a direct comparison. I don't do it often, but it's between sports, and it's been 25 years since it happened, or 20 years since it happened. Whatever. Um, it. When, yeah, when Mason Rudolph was up and down, but he had some good games. He had some bad games, you know, young quarterbacks, it happens. But after he got hit in the head and that face that is kind of sketchy, he 
went straight down the toilet. Somebody else that had something like that happen? Back in the day, Chicago Cubs slugger Sammy Sosa, on a, going to another big home run year, had great average, gets knocked in the head with a fastball that was fast enough to shatter his helmet. He never recovered. Ended up retiring, I think, two years later. Because he just, his eyesight, he could never really hit the ball again. What if the, well, not physical damage, what if the mental side effects of that situation have been haunting Rudolph? And that he's never going to be the same again because he no longer believes in himself the way he may have before that. Well, he did regain some confidence back in the offseason. He did go out for like a little cough. There was like a People magazine or some stupid celebrity company posted an article about how Mason Rudolph was uh, going to get coffee with one of the uh, female contestants on The Bachelor and how she got dumped by the guy who won the show. Like she was the original winner of the show, but the guy left her for the runner-up and then Mason Rudolph was able to get some confidence back. So I think there's only two quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, if somebody like Trask or uh, Jamie Newman gets drafted by the Steelers, then I think Mason's got a shot to win the starting job, but it's a marginal shot. Well, if Jamie Newman gets drafted, Mason Rudolph may end up on the unemployment line. I believe Newman's going to come in a house fire. Hodges and Mason Rudolph both have uh, contracts ongoing contracts, then whoever's making more money is the odd man out. And I'm pretty certain that Mason Rudolph's contract is has more than Devlin Hodges. I'm pretty certain. So Mason would be the odd man out because Pittsburgh would cut him to save cap space at that point. Not that they yeah. want to. They just have to. Yeah, but we, we've spent a good bit of time on it. We got the first round. doesn't matter who they draft. If they have been and they draft a quarterback in the first round, the quarterback they draft in the first round is automatically the back, automatically QB2 in that scenario. Yeah, yeah so, but we spent enough time on this, Chris. We got 21 other restricted free agents to hit, to at least mention, to go through. Okay. I mean, yeah. Well, you agree with me on the logic, the thought process. I'm going to yeah. that now. Yeah, the logic's fine. Okay. Uh, logic works. All right, so this is the fun part of the show I was going to get into. Um, I was going to do like a fun segment called a re-sign or free agent, like deal or no deal. I'm going to go through the list of uh, players, the key names that did not sign their franchise tags. And we'll go with a re-sign or free agent. First up is Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. I'm going to say resigns in the offseason because Dak was very close to resigning. And honestly, if they had executed this, Stephen Jones, um, the agent of Dak Prescott, if they had executed this a little bit sooner instead of waiting till 2.58 to uh, go into emergency mode and contact Dak Prescott, I think he could have resigned today. Like, they were that close. They were going up to $50 million a year. And Dak was like, I, I don't like the deal. We need to reassess something. Uh, maybe like $35 million a year, but fifty to se- up, earn up to $50, $70 million guaranteed. Well, I'm going to say no deal simply because I love I was it, I love Dak Prescott as a quarterback. I don't love Dak Prescott at $50 million, okay? You know, great quarterback. I pay him fifty million per year, but he wants like thirty. He wants like forty million guaranteed, or at least like a thirty million a year with fifty million guaranteed, or something that's just exorbitant amount of money. And I love Dak Prescott too. I mean, he was we we both had him as our sleeper in that twenty sixteen draft. So if Dallas isn't willing to pay that, and they are picking high enough to get a Trey Lance, even maybe Newman, if they love Newman and he has a big season. They're going to move on at that point if they are not in the playoffs this year. They just yeah. aren't the business. Yeah, because nobody's going to pay Dak Prescott what he wants. And Jerry Jones is doing everything he can to try to convince Prescott to come back at a reasonable price tag. And Prescott, I think, is starting to press his luck a little bit too far. And I don't think Jerry Jones is going to give in after – this season when a lot of stadiums 
are going 25% capacity. Some, as we mentioned on Saturday, no capacity. I don't think Jerry Jones is going to give in. to If he was willing to go 40 to 50, he's not going to give in any more than that. So I think Prescott's starting to press his luck a little too far because even Jerry Jones has his limits. So I'm going to say no deal based on that premise. Yeah. So you're saying he's going to be a free agent. So who do you think would get him in that uh, scenario? Probably a team. I don't know. I'm going to go with, and I know this may be an interesting choice. I'm going to go with Tennessee because they're not going to overpay him, but they may be willing to pay him more. And I know Tannehill just signed a new contract, but if Tannehill – slips up even a little bit, then you're going to have Prescott sitting there. And in that scenario, I would go with Tennessee. You know what? I'm, I, I've got Dak staying in Dallas, but if he does leave, I'm going to go with Washington just for fun because he can go to a rival team just to spite the Cowboys. And they won't be the Redskins anymore. They'll be a new team with a new logo. He'll be the face of the new team. He can play Benedict Arnold. And Alex Smith, they can get out of his contract next offseason. And it'd just be a great storyline. Dak Prescott goes to the new Washington team. The rivalry's back on. It's just no longer the Redskins-Cowboys rivalry. It's the new Washington team with their former Cowboy quarterback versus the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, I'm going to give you one more scenario real quick before we move on. Josh Allen has been so inconsistent. Dak Prescott to the Bills, maybe? And that's yeah, they drafted Jake Fromm, but if he doesn't – they brush him in and Allen gets benched for Jake Fromm and Fromm's not ready and his arm can't handle the big Buffalo. At that point, I wouldn't be opposed to Dak Prescott. But, yeah, Buffalo is a team that can look at him and – Chicago could be another fit, too. We could spend all day going on this, but we're not going to do that. I'm going to go on to the next um, player. I went with the Cowboys. will re-sign him. Joey chose the free agency route for Dak Prescott. Next up is Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green. And I think he's going to be a free agent. Unless the Bengals win a respectable amount of games in Joe Burrow's rookie season and Burrow goes to bat for A.J. Green, I think this is Burrow. I think this is AJ Green's last year as a Bengal because it would take Burrow going the plate. Because right now, Joe Burrow is processing that Bengals playbook, mastering the plays, practicing them, executing them at such a proficient rate. The Bengals coaches can't even keep up with Joe Burrow. Yeah, Joe Burrow is showing the mental abilities of as far as football IQ with. His dad was a brilliant coach, as I've said before, on um, the other network we do podcasting on. Um, And uh, I look and I say, okay, if he doesn't have an extremely high football IQ, there's something wrong. He's showing Terry Bradshaw-style football IQ where he may master the offense, may end up running the offense. Uh, So in that scenario, if – AJ Green, I'm going to say his first year. People well, forget Carson Palmer, even though he was the number one pick, he sat behind Kitna's first year, and that was the best thing to happen to Carson Palmer. Whereas with Burrow, he didn't have to worry about that Palmer Kitna scenario with Dalton. He got to inherit the team right out of the gate, and he's delivered since well, the first day he got picked. Well, as far as going to bat, I think Joe Burrow is going to go to bat for him. But I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say he retires. I'm going to say he retires. I was going to say he is on the verge this year. This year, he's probably going to, if Joe Burrow has a great year, he's probably going to break receiving records set by Jerry Rice. He is number two all time, I believe, in a few of those categories. And if that happens, I say he retires. Yeah, because I. Last year, I had A.J. Green in the fourth round of my fantasy draft, I, I and I, he got injured. 
So I just chose to avoid drafting him. But if he has a bounce back year, Banel is going to be very happy because Jason took him at like pick 69 in our uh, fantasy draft. So he took a flyer pick on him in the seventh round. So that's gutsy. But seventh round is much better value to get green this year because he could easily bounce back. And, and if he's healthy, he could have another big year with Burrow because Burrow's just the way he's processing information he's going to put, make the Bengals a contender in due time. And if they're not at eight wins by 2022, at that point, Zach Taylor's got to go and you got to get someone who, because Zach Taylor was a quarterback's coach before being promoted to head coach. He never got that coordinator experience. And I've always been a firm believer that if a head coach does not have coordinator experience prior to becoming head coach, he will fail nine out of 10 times. I've always been a firm believer in that as a football fan and a football mind. Yeah, so lie, but I like Zach Taylor. I thought because he wasn't a coordinator, he was from behind, he was coming from behind the eight ball, but I always thought he was a really smart guy with a good head on his shoulders. And when that happens, uh, you end up getting somebody who can a lot of times jump ahead of coordinators because they do know what they're doing and they just don't have the experience. So that's to be dynamic of Burrow and Taylor reminds me of what McVay had when he got golf. Yeah. Except getting a lot, it's getting a better quarterback coming out of college. Yeah. Well, it's debatable, but yeah. Well, Burrow won the championship and uh, golf, even though I did love golf's passing yards and his, ability to play any type of offense on a consistent basis. Let's face it, he just didn't have the, the star power and the household recognition that Burrow possesses. So, yeah, let's move on. Um, so the next signing, Hunter Henry, the Chargers tight end. He missed all of last season with an injury. He's back this year, though. And this one, for me, depends on whether he's healthy, because if he's not healthy, he'll be a free agent. And someone will be able to get him for a discount. And if he is healthy, Justin Herbert's going to need that security blanket because Mike Williams is – they did not give a fifth-year tender on Mike Williams, the Chargers uh, draft pick out of Clemson that we both love. We liked him more than Corey Davis. And I was a little bit surprised by that. I know a lot of teams in the 2017 draft, they got good players, but they chose not to use fifth-year tenders. Like with Trubisky, it's understandable, but Leonard Fournette, Mike Williams, these are guys that can have breakout years. And if they do, after two inconsistent first two seasons, they have a breakout year in year three, and you don't use the fifth-year tender, teams can just bid on these guys, and they could get a huge payday. And then revert to mediocrity. So I don't understand not using a fifth-year tender. But the Chargers are going to resign only one of those two players, Mike Williams or Hunter Henry. They just don't have the cap space to bring both back, unfortunately. I Plus, they need a left tackle. to. to they never got that left tackle blindside to replace Russell Okun. So whoever has the better seasons coming back to Los Angeles, that's the mindset the Chargers have to have because they already have Keenan Allen locked up to a long-term deal. And I just don't think it's feasible to give both Hunter Henry and Mike Williams a long-term deal. And how both of those players do, whoever has the bigger impact for the team next to Allen, is going to be the playmaker that's returning with Herbert, period. Well, so say- well Hunter Henry um, – sorry, Chris. Um, go ahead. What were you going to – I was going to say – Hunter Henry resigns, but I'm not confident. Like on a scale of one to ten, my confidence in Hunter Henry resigns a three. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say I am not a huge proponent of Hunter Henry. Never really have been. Um, he, I like him as a player but I don't love him as a player. Um, the um, is for me, he doesn't match up to what he's going to demand in that contract that we speak of to be franchised or anything else. He just doesn't fit um, that mold. He's injured too often. 
NFL, according to fantasy football experts. But despite being the eighth best tight end when healthy, he's always had durability issues, even dating back to Arkansas. Or tight end with star power. He was talented. He was skilled. And he showed up and he learned. I think one of I, I had a backup grade on him coming out of college. But I think one of the reasons that he was so successful is he got to learn under Antonio Gates. He went to the right team. And that sort of masked some of the flaws in his game. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's he's talented, but he's injured and oftentimes and he doesn't I don't think he's ever played completely healthy in his NFL career. And I, like you said, it was kind of masked by playing with Antonio Gates. But so I don't think that what you're looking at as a player, a lot of which is because of the durability concerns, is something that we are going to be able to put to the price tag of a franchise tender. So I'm going to say no deal. Yeah, and Hunter Henry was um, a he was drafted in the um, he's drafted at Arkansas. I don't remember what year. I think it was twenty fourteen because it says experience five years, and he didn't play until twenty sixteen. I think he was a twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen draft pick. I don't think he was in the twenty fifteen draft. He's out of Arkansas, and he was one of the draft tight ends that got drafted early but he never had more than 652 receiving yards and that was this year in 2019 on 12 games um and he missed all the 2018 season and he still had injury issues in 2019 so he's never played a full 16 game season he's never it's never happened in his career and the first two years he sat behind um, antonio gates and then in 2016 they sort of eased him into that role so, and he had eight touchdowns in that first year. It was a great red zone target that first year, but teams figured out how to game plan around it. So. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, he's the eighth best tight end in fantasy. But I think that's going to change with uh, this draft in the 2021 NFL draft. We're going to start to see some resurgence at tight end in the next year, year two. Oh, crap. Uh, I was coming down to the stadium real quick, and it turns out I forgot there was that COVID testing site here today. So I got to turn around and go back. So what? who's the next one on the dock, Chris? All right, Brandon Scherf, the Washington Redskins, Washington NFL team. <laughs> Washington, uh, right guard. He was a left tackle at Iowa, but he, they moved him inside to guard after taking fifth overall in 2015. And there were only four players from that 2015 NFL draft that are still on the teams that drafted him. Um, and Scherf is the highest draft pick. In fact, he's the only guy, I think, in the entire top 10 of the 2015 draft to still remain with the team that drafted him. And for me, I'm going to say Brandon Scherf resigns. He's a player that they have to resign. Yeah. But at the same time, if Scherf wants out and wants to go play for a winner, I can respect that too. So whatever Scherf wants to do, I'm on board with that. And Scherf, he is gonna it's gonna be um, probably the most fascinating name on this list. Not because uh the Dak Prescott's gonna be the guy that the media talks about the most, but Scherf's the most fascinating because he's the only guy in the top ten of the twenty fifteen draft that had Gurley, the two quarterbacks that's still on the team that drafted him. And he hasn't played a full 16-game season since 2016. He played 14 games in 2017. He only played eight games in 2018. He bounced back and proved from that and played 11 games. And he's very good when he's healthy. He's a top 10 right guard in the league. He's not Zach Martin, but he's a top 15, top 10 right guard in the league when healthy. And he's Washington's best offensive lineman now that they no longer have Trent Williams. So they lose Trent Williams, and now they they can't afford to lose Scherf. So I think Washington's going to have to cave into Scherf and pay him. Well, he's a cap- I, I say pay him, and here's the thing. If, he was sti- if they were still trying to force him into that tackle spot, I'd say no deal. But as a guard, he's going to come at a much lower price than most top five picks. I mean, almost – 
bottom barrel price when it comes to that price range. So in that case, yeah, I think if he's a guard, pay him. If he wants to try being a tackle, let him test free agency. That's where yep. I'm with you. Yep. Because let's face it, he was drafted as a tackle. He would have gotten tackle money, but they moved him to guard. Guess what he's going to be getting? He's going to be getting guard money. So you keep him. And if you have to franchise him, fine. You're franchising him as a guard. So guess what? Good deal. He's staying put. Yep. Um, Joe Thunny, speaking of guards, we're on to Joe Thunny. We're on to the Patriots guard, and he's not going to be a Patriot next year just because the cap space for the Patriots is so tight. I wouldn't even be surprised if Belichick moved him for a second or third round draft pick in training camp because Belichick, we know he loves to load up on draft picks and draft capital. And while there's not a first round guard in this draft, there's guys like Caden Stearns, um, Trey Smith, the South Alabama's Deontay Brown. There's the South Carolina Sedarius Hutcherson. There are guards in the second round that the Patriots can get. And asking it, nobody's going to offer a first-round pick for Joe Thunny. But there are a handful of teams. I'd say at least half of the league would offer. Half of the league that needs upgrades at left guard would give the Patriots a second-rounder for Thunny. Because I don't think the guards in this draft are as good as Thunny. So that's why I understand why the Patriots want a first for him. But they're not going to get a first for him. It's a business. But they probably would get a second for him. I mean, realistically... The player they draft wouldn't be. There's a chance the player they draft isn't as good as Thunny. You know, and I've been, I've always been torn on Funny. Uh, Funny is a really good player, but I always felt that he was overhyped for what he is. He is a yeah. I wasn't high on him coming out of college, but he came into New England, proved me wrong, and won the starting left guard job right out of the gate. And he's a great starter. But he's not that star guard or that big-time guard like Scherf where the leadership's there. He checks off all the boxes on tape. He's good. And yeah. I know to upset Patriots fans because Scherf's been – I mean, not Scherf. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm sounding like Beavis and Butthead too. But Joe Thunny, like Joe Thunny has been one of the most consistent linemen for the Patriots in terms of durability over the last three years. But – at the same time, I'm with you. He's not a high upside lineman. He's more of a floor lineman. So I don't think you can get a first-round pick for Thunny. So if the Patriots have to decide they want to move forward with Thunny and try to bring him back in the offseason if they make the playoffs, or do they want to um, trade him for a pick right now? Because I think if you move him this off in training camp, you can get a second for him. If you like Sedarius Hutcherson or Trey Smith or Cade Mays and you want to reload at that left guard spot, Now's the time to pull the trigger because I think a team is desperate enough to get the people. Not a first, but a second, yeah. And they got in the third round. Well, I mean, like I say, if you want a good, consistent guard, funny is, you know, yeah. awesome in that respect. But I think for funny, it's all going to depend on how much he demands because he is not that top-tier guard. But if you want one that's going to do his job – do it well, and do it all year long without many hiccups, then you want funny. If you want consistency, you want funny. But if you want a great, great player, top-tier guard, you're not going to get it with funny. So I'm going to say I'm going to take a pass on him and say no deal because I think he's going to want more than the Patriots are willing to pay him and probably more than he's worth. Yeah, it's like the Patriots think they can get a first for him. Realistically, the best they can do is a second. But at this point in the process, some teams are only going to offer a third because they really value those picks in the first two rounds, and it's a business. Plus, Thunny was a third-round pick in 2016. So if people feel he's third-round value, he's worth a third-round pick at this point. And while he's a consistent starter, there's not a lot of upside with that then third-round value is all you're going to get if you're the Patriots. And I'm not trading Thunny for a third-rounder. If it's a second, I'll consider it. But I'm going to be very disappointed, especially because I don't like trading 
draft picks away. And Belichick, I don't think he's going to trade Thunny away. There's a reason they franchise tagged him after Brady left. There's a reason they brought him back. I don't think he's getting moved this year, but it's possibility. He's one of the names that we keep hearing trade rumors about, but I don't think he's going to get moved. But I don't think he'll be a Patriot in 2021. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get franchised again. Uh, There were a lot of reasons to bring Funny back this year because of new quarterback, new everything with the offense. And it's you need that protective blanket on the offensive line. So there are a lot of good reasons to bring him back this year. Don't think they bring him back next year. I don't either. So, and I they played left guard at Georgia before winning the left tackle job. So if he gets uh, if he does not play all sixteen games at left tackle, I won't be surprised if the Patriots draft a new left tackle and try a win inside at guard. Now that's something they could actually explore. Yeah, that that would be an interesting uh, scenario, but I think that's one that will probably end up happening here um, for the Patriots. And funny, yeah, I think he moves on. Strong tackle draft, so I could see that happening. Patriots get a tackle and they move um, Wayne inside to guard to replace Stunny. And then it's a quick fix, and that would definitely help. All right, moving on, Matt Judon, Ravens, um, Ed Rusher. on is interesting because I liked him as a sleeper coming out of Grand Valley State, and he's done good enough to maintain a starting job. Is he a top 10 edge rusher in the NFL? Absolutely not. But he is um, he's about as consistent as Dunlap on the Bengals, but he's not on the same par as Garrett or Dupree or a Watt. And we'll get to Dupree in a bit because he's on this list too. Um, but Judon then Yannick, and then Leonard Williams, and then Dupree. But Judon is not the pass rusher that Bud Dupree or Shaq Barrett is, and they're on this list too. So I'm going to say Judon is not a Raven. But the problem is outside of Gregory Rosso, the only other two edge rushers that weren't first-round grades are um, Xavier Thomas and Basham, and they're both better for a 43 scheme. So I could see the Ravens caving in and paying him. But the problem is they want to keep Lamar Jackson, Orlando Brown Jr., and Mark Andrews and the core of that Raven offense together, they ha- they, they're they probably going to have to cut Ingram and make Dobbins a starter in 2021 and make sure those guys are extended, even if it means losing Judon and getting another edge rusher in the draft. And they're, I'm sure the Ravens are okay with that because the Ravens are one of these teams that constantly reloads the edge rusher position. So I don't think Judon will be back. Yeah, it's uh, I'm one of those guys with Judon. I like Judon. Judon is not a franchise player. Uh, I think he'll be a good, solid player somewhere else. I like Judon, too, but if Lamar Jackson is approaching his contract extension and you got Mark Andrews and Orlando Brown Jr., two Pro Bowl offensive guys that we both love coming out of the draft, and they're approaching the end of their contract years, you got to keep the offense more together so you can push the Chiefs and the Browns for that conference on a year-to-year basis. We're in the same boat there, and Judon sorted the odd man out. Yeah. Unless he's willing to take like a massive pay cut, and Orlando Brown just demands too much money at right tackle, and then at that point you can explore the idea of bringing Judon back. But I think he's the odd man out. And the next player, Yannick Naguko, I love this kid coming out of Maryland. I actually had a first round grade on him in the 2016 draft, and he was as good as advertised with the Jaguars. Problem is he no longer wants to be a Jaguar and he's not even signing his franchise tag. And honestly, I think there is a team stupid enough to give the Jaguars a third first round pick for this guy. The problem is the Jaguars want Yannick on their team this season because they know they're going to need him if they're going to win any games. Yeah, because the Jaguars, when they were at their best, were good pass rush. Great defensive back play. Big time receiving talent. Okay, they're starting to reload their receivers. Good. It's a slow process with the receivers because of how how bad the bust rate is with his, receivers. So they're so they don't have to worry about Chenault holding out in training camp. He signed his rookie. Yeah. And that's good news for the Jaguars. Yeah. It's great news for fans 
owners because you get Chenault the late rounds of a fantasy draft. You can use a keeper on him next year if you're in a keeper league like I am. But yeah. Let's get back to Yannick but, because Yannick guy that but, I had a first-round grade on. The Jaguars got him in the third round after getting um, Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. And the Jaguars in that 2016 draft, they struck lightning in the bottle three times and got – Good players with all three of those picks, but well, with Black that's still on that team outside of Jack. Jack well, got extended. Back to it though, it's with Yannick. It's like they had all that. Now they're going to have to rebuild that pass rush with Yannick not wanting to be here in Jacksonville anymore. He's going to be pushed out. I could see him getting traded mid-season because they know if they get three firsts. Because they're not going to accept anything less than a first. They get three firsts. They got some good pass rushers, and they can use one of those firsts to draft one in this draft. So I can see him being traded in the middle of the season. But So I will say no deal on Yannick being back. Yeah, because Chason is going to be a 43 outside linebacker with a Miles Jack at the weak side and Schobert at the mic. So – Really, you have Josh Allen, the Kentucky pass rusher, and you get another edge rusher to play 43 left end, whereas Allen would take over the right end responsibilities, face the left tackles, and you're probably looking at your bash in the Wake Forest defensive end, or Xavier Thomas, the former five-star out of high school, committed to Clinton, and one of the players you get with those picks after getting a quarterback and a uh, offensive lineman likely a left tackle if Cam Robinson doesn't win the starting job. So while this is a tricky situation, if a team's offering me a first-round pick for Yannick, I'm, I'm trading him. I'm just getting it out of the way and getting another pick. But you might not get that until the midseason. I mean, if a team like the Patriots is 1-3, I could see them making a trade for Yannick. That's the crazy thing because Yannick was a guy that could play in the 34 coming out of Maryland. And I could see a team panicking and getting desperate because that's what the Steelers did. They traded their first to Miami for Minka. I mean, and Jamal Adams is going to command multiple firsts. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Leonard Williams, the former uh, Jet-turned-Giant, he did not sign his franchise tag. He did get a fifth-year tender with the Jets, but they traded him in year four. I think this is the fifth year of that tender, or I don't know if he got franchise tagged. I think he finished the tender, but he got franchise tagged. And they didn't extend him. But either way, Leonard Williams, he's a good – the Giants moved to a 34 defense, and he's a good piece. They had a good 43 defense, and they had defensive tackles like Hankins and um, B.J. Hill. Good players that they drafted, but they moved to a 34 defense, and Leonard Williams is just a better player for the 34 scheme. And he was a cornerstone player with the Jets until they traded him, and he's been very effective with the Giants. So he's a guy you'd like to have. But at the same time, you want to keep Saquon Barkley. Uh, you, you're going to have to use a fifth-year tender on him. Are you going to have the cap money to use a tender on him, even if it means cutting some of your starting tackles? Like Nate Soldier, he's going to end up, and you're going to. It's going to get to a point where you're going to have to. And this is why the Giants were smart to reload in the offensive line because it's going to get to a point where if you want to keep Leonard Williams, you're going to have to cut somebody or let Evan Ingram walk or let one of ruin the offensive core of that team and I don't I like Leonard Williams coming out of USC I thought he had all the tools but the fact that the Jets traded him to the Giants tells me he's a good starter he's a serviceable starter but he's not the special top five USC Jarrell Casey guy that people hyped him up to be yeah and I agree I think he is because I like him I I I want him to I honestly want him to sign long-term because I think he's a good fit with the team before this happens, because if this happens, he's gone. He's not going to get that money. Nobody's going to give him that money. Um, but if he re-signs before that situation, then there's a different situation there, and it's probably going to be a longer-term deal with the Giants. So I'm going to go pass, but I'm going to hope – that he signs beforehand just to avoid the situation completely. Yep. Bud Dupree, Steelers, I don't think he resigns. I know Steeler fans want to keep all these guys they drafted, like James Conner. Um, TJ Watt got his 
enters the final year of his fifth year tender. I think either this year or next year, Watt got his fifth year tender, so that'll take effect next offseason. Um, Dupree got franchise tagged. Ty Smith's going to come in and replace Dupree in a year. And the Steelers drafted a play pool because they know Juju's going to want too much money and they don't want to deal with the Antonio Brown shenanigans with Juju in a year. And, and Juju's a great player and an awesome role model. So I have nothing but mad respect for Juju. He took a photo with a Patriots fan, even though he decided to flip the fan off and be a goofball. It's like the fact that he cared enough about the Patriots fan to do that in place for the Steelers tells me that Juju's a man of great compassion and character. Plus, he he's the Steelers' best receiver when healthy. But they have... Deontay Johnson, former Toledo receiver. They got the tie from Oklahoma State, and they have um, Claypool now in Notre Dame. So I feel like the Steelers don't want to pay Juju more than he's worth, and they're willing to risk losing him to free agency unless he has a 100 reception, 10 receiving touchdown, 1,000-yard season where he just lights it up like Michael Thomas. Unless he has like a Michael Thomas year. He's not coming back to Pittsburgh. And as much as that upsets Steeler Nation, it's like Dupree's probably not coming back either. There's a reason the Steelers reloaded at key positions like receiver and edge rusher instead of going after uh, needs like nose tackle, safety, quarterback to push Mason Rudolph. They used this draft to reload at key positions because they didn't have a first-round pick. Develop the guys for a year and reload. It's a smart thing to do long-term may not benefit you short-term, but it's a smart long-term strategy. Well, I have never been a huge fan of Dupree's, more athlete than football player. Great athlete, but I, more athlete than football player. So I'm going to say, yeah. if you're going to take great football player versus great athlete, I'm re-signing Schuster. Goodbye, Dupree. Um, yeah, I prioritize Schuster over Dupree, too, because I thought Dupree was going to bust, but then they get Watt, and he turns it around in that second, third year after learning the playbook and developing. Yeah, so I'm going to say bye-bye Dupree. He's going to get a pretty decent contract somewhere else. Not going to be a steal. Yeah, they got High Smith from Charlotte, so they, he can come in and replace Dupree. Next up is Shaq Barrett, and honestly, Shaq Barrett went from being a th- backup edge rusher to Dupree and Von Miller to be leading the NFL in sacks with Tampa Bay before they got Brady. And honestly, Tampa Bay, I'm kind of disappointed that Tampa Bay did not re-sign him, but Barrett, it, he has another big year like he did. They will, Brady will pay, Brady will retire unless they extend him. Like, because if Barrett, because they win the Super Bowl in their own stadium with Barrett and Brady, Brady's going to retire unless Barrett gets re-signed. I'm just saying, because Shaq Barrett just has that kind of impact on a defense and He's going to make things easier for Tom Brady, and I'm really excited to see what Tampa can do. I'm not sure if they'll go all the way. No Super Bowl host has ever won the state. There could be a first time for everything, but I'm not willing to hedge my bets with Tampa. But Barrett, I think Barrett's an interesting player. Probably the most, I think, I don't think you've had a single player outside of Scherf that you wanted to re-sign or fiscally could re-sign. But Barrett's one of these players where if he has another big year, Another 10-sack year. He's shown enough consistency to warrant an extension. Yeah, uh, Shaq Barrett stays. I don't – you don't take elite pass rushers that are great, unlike Bud Dupree, who is – you could argue a lot of his success is coming from playing with T.J. Watt. You have yes. Shaq Barrett, who is – Tampa Bay's version of T.J. Watt has developed into one of the best pass rushers of the league. So I say they keep him and uh, they keep going ahead and build around it. All right, final two players before we wrap up the podcast. We're going to the safety position. Start off with Justin Simmons, the Broncos. And I love Justin Simmons coming out of Boston College. This was back when we had a much bigger staff. And I also remember a film cut that uh, Jonah the draft did when he was still at Texas Tech. And the guy they were watching tape on in that film cut was Justin. And he had everything on tape. The speed, the athleticism, foot speed, the coverage, and all facets. He's just so good. And the Broncos were lucky enough to land him in the third round. They didn't rush him. They developed him. And 
they were able to get a very good safety with that selection. So I think they're going to try to bring him back. They did get Kareem Jackson as a safety. I don't know what Denver's cap situation is, but I would think they're going to make room for Justin Simmons if he has another strong year. He's just been too reliable. Yeah, I think they keep Simmons because I don't think Simmons is going to demand elite money like some of these guys we've gone over. And in that scenario, if you're not demanding elite money, now you've got a lot of wiggle room for the team. So I think that he stays. Yep. And next up is Anthony Harris. This is a guy who was offered $15 million and didn't sign. And Anthony Harris, I love Anthony Harris coming out of Virginia. Don't get me wrong. But until this past year, Anthony Harris was a backup for his entire career. And then this past year, he enters the final year of his rookie contract, and he just lights it up. I mean, he makes Harrison jobs, Harrison Smith's job ten times easier. And even though Minnesota's corners struggled, even though they had three first-round corners and they all got beaten coverage, the safeties were the backbone for the defensive backfield for the Vikings because you had um, Harrison Smith. Everyone was throwing towards Harrison Smith. So guess who steps in? Anthony Harris, the former Virginia Cavalier, and he has a good year, but they were offering him like $15 million per year, like a two-, three-year deal, and he wanted $18 million. It's like Anthony Harris was a backup for three years. You don't get to demand $18 million after one good season. I'd rather draft a safety or reload that position than pay Anthony Harris $18 million a year. Like, with just with Did Simmons, you can pay him twelve to $15 million a year. That's reasonable. He's earned that, and you're not overpaying him. Whereas with Harris, if you pay him $18 million a year, you're overpaying him because he's a backup for three years. Yeah. Whereas Simmons was a consistent year-by-year starter. Harris was a backup for three years, even though I loved him at Virginia – didn't really start until this season. He had one big year. I got to see more than that if I'm paying you $18 million. You got to have like Paul Abalu or Ed Reed type. And even though he's a good, strong safety, he's not Paul Abalu type talent. That's the other reason I'm opposed to paying him $18 million. Well, here. here's a little interesting thing, something we talked about. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not. But we were talking about draft rumors. They were saying that Harris was on the pre-draft trade block because of his contract demands. Well, the big one that uh, the Vikings reached out to were the Browns because of the obvious connection with Kevin Stefanski. And Stefanski took a hard pass. Okay, that should tell you right there, a guy who has been with the franchise 14 years, saw him from time he walked into the building to the time he left the building for a head coaching job, said, no. We'll take the pass on that. And they signed uh, Barejo or whatever his name was instead of trading for him. That should tell you all you need to know. So I'm going to take a hard pass just like Kevin Stefanski did on it because if your former right hand of your head coach for three head coaches says, no, we're not doing it, then – you are not worth that money you're wanting, so I will take a hard pass. Yeah, that's another good point that I didn't even bring up, but you're right. He wanted $18 million a year, and they're offering uh, him. To be honest, I would only pay – I'd pay him 11 or $10 million. The Vikings, though, only offered Dalvin Cook $9 million, which I thought is an insult to Dalvin Cook's talent. I mean, if you don't want to pay him $15 million right now, make him earn that. But offer him at least ten or eleven million. Nine million for Dalvin Cook is lowballing him. But he only had one breakout year, which was this past season. So I understand where the Vikings are coming from. Yeah. So uh, is that everybody? Did we actually get them all yeah. in? Everything. Well, yeah. That's pretty everybody as far as the contracts go. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think we'd get them all in in that short amount of time. Yeah, we got. Yeah, because I know I did a show with Brian We were on the call for 75 minutes, and I felt like this was going to go over 60 minutes, but I felt like it would be between 60 and 90 minutes. 
I think we both kind of expected the show to be uh, between sixty, between seventy and ninety. Yeah, minutes. I was thinking at least and an hour and a half. So pretty smoothly, actually. Yeah. So I mean, it's a really good. Um, I think it went really well, considering you know I didn't think it would with that much to go over. So we're kind of happy with that. Like that couldn't have complaints. After the Rose Bowl fumble, it went smoothly. After the debacle where I mentioned the, oh, the Rose Bowl, the mascots after that debauchery went pretty well. And then, um, oh yeah, I did get some other news that I got to Well, do, um, did you ever did expect a podcast with me not to have some sort of debauchery? I mean, come on, let's... No, no, I, I don't. Yeah, Joanna Cole... The uh, author of the Magic School Bus did pass away as of an hour ago, so I did want to get that in briefly, so I am paying a moment of silence to her. And because the Rose Bowl news came up right before like breaking news, we had to wait until the end of the show to give Joanna Cole her uh, moment of silence. She did make the Magic School Bus. It might not be Mike Judges, Beavis, and Butthead, or the Power Rangers, or the Ninja Turtles, but it was a great kids' show for its time in the 90s. And... I think the shocking thing is that you're actually going to give a moment of silence. You, you are not that silent. You're right. I'm not. I mean, even though I was an introvert growing up, I've developed into a more extroverted person as I've gotten older. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Much louder person. Yeah, it's, yeah, it comes across as obnoxious. I don't mean for it to be that way it just is that way and it's not a good quality but we were able to get through everything and get give miss cole her moment of silence and i honestly feel like she's earned that because she did a great job with the magic school bus and all the characters and the drizzle. so yeah she's earned her moment of silence all right then let's get silent all right <laughs> 